Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. That was our second Japanese worship song in less than six months. I think we'll all be fluent soon. Lord, we do pray, have your way in us, in every language, God, in every part of us, God, in every nook and cranny of our lives, we pray that you would have your way in us. Lord, we do give you our heart, even this morning as in this brief time I open up your scriptures, God, do a work in our heart, I pray, in the precious and mighty name of Jesus, amen. You know, I... um. I'm going to speak today. It's our final, final episode of the Heart of God series, and I hope it's been beneficial and helpful to you. Even the phrase, Heart of God, it, it reminds us that God's heart is real. It is something that we need to be aware of. It's something we need to care about, and it's something we need to capture and live in our own lives. Amen? I, I think for me, even as we've prepared for these messages and we've seen the logos and the different things, I think, Lord, this is my prayer that I would, I would know your heart that I would live your heart, that I, I would be some small expression, my life, of the heart of God on the earth today. I, I hope that's your prayer. I hope these scriptures and these messages have stirred a desire for you to know and to live the heart of God. So I want you to remember, you still have your booklets. This is the final page of your book. You can use it for anything you want, of course. But review these things. Be a person who carries the heart of God. Be known for that. Like it was said of King David in Peter's Pentecost great sermon, he says, David served the purposes of God in his generation. Then he fell asleep and he died. That in your generation, in your life, in your short amount of time here on earth, that you would serve God's purposes. Another way to say it is that you would live God's heart on the earth today. Thank you, Corey, for bringing the Lebanese refugee crisis in front of us. Those things are hard. We don't always have categories for that. That's the heart of God. We sing about, Lord, I give you my heart in Japanese. That's the heart of God. As we offer our own hearts, that's the heart of God. Today I want to talk about the heart of God. And this is the topic, that God in his heart of hearts makes things grow. He makes things grow. I love how in the Garden of Eden, in the very first pages of the Bible, it says in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. It's such a very simple thing that God planted a tree and he caused it to grow. I planted a tree in my backyard this spring. It's an autumn blaze. It's going to be majestic. And you know what? I planted it there, I put it there, and now I'm cheering for it. I get up in the morning, I look at it, this fall, it turned color. I'm like, grow, little man, grow! Spread your branches, let's get, let's get up in the air. It grew like this much. But I'm cheering it on, I'm excited to see its progress. Because I want to benefit from its beauty. Listen, I'm excited to see your progress. I would love to benefit from 
the beauty. God makes things grow. It's part of the DNA of the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Where the kingdom of God is, part of the very DNA, what it does innately is it grows. That the rule of God on the earth, the rule of Christ in your life and in this church and in the neighborhood and in the nations, it by its very nature grows. That's why some Christians are very, very miserable. The kingdom of God is growing in their life and they're fighting it. Because they don't want to let go of the reins and give way and let Christ rule their lives. And so they live in this two worlds, like the kingdom and the world, and they're just, they're just miserable. Because they haven't found that freedom, trusted God fully with their lives. You cannot harness or bridle or keep grounded the kingdom. Because by its very nature, the kingdom of God, it grows. Back to Genesis, it says in Genesis 1, 28, that God blessed the people he made. He said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, and do what? Fill the earth. This is God's objective. Fill the earth. Because the kingdom grows. God's heart is to expand. In your personal life, in the church, in the world. You can't view and you can't know and understand God any differently than his heart is to fill the earth. I love how Habakkuk says it. Habakkuk says it this way so beautifully. It says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord even as the waters cover the sea. God will not stop until the glory of the knowledge of the Lord fills the whole earth. This is God's heart. It's his agenda. He will not be dissuaded or denied. That even as the waters cover the sea. Well, listen, the water is the sea, right? Water isn't covering the sea. The sea is water, and the water is the sea. And God's glory will be all over the earth, so even then, the earth will be the glory of the Lord. To understand and to know God is to understand and know that God will not be put in a box, and he is expanding, even as we speak. With or without you, church, God is on the move. Some of you know, and you've been around for it. Some of you weren't. You're newer. But you know that, that when our church got full, we had to make a decision. Are we going big, mega church, multiple services, whatever we can do? Or are we going to try to stay an intimate community of believers? I cast no judgment that both are legitimate ways for the kingdom of God to grow, and it doesn't matter to me what other churches do. But for us, we says we're going we're to stay community-based, small, if you will. And in doing so, that doesn't mean we fail and stop growing. So what it meant is that we planted a church, and then we planted another, and then we planted another. No matter how big or small you view your own personal ministry or the ministry of this church or the ministry to the nations, no matter what, God's kingdom, if we are faithful to pursue it, will grow and expand. Your ministry must grow and expand. The church must grow and expand. The kingdom must be proclaimed and grow and expand. This is God's heart. This is who he is. You know, when you talk about the gospel of the kingdom, I'm reminded of the story that 
we read in Daniel chapter 2. It's, king, it's like Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar and some of those great, like, you know, those, those, those in the king's court, these things would happen. Nebuchadnezzar, back in the time of Daniel, they defeated, they crushed the, um, the, uh, the southern kingdom. They took in captives. And so they were the superpower of the earth. As far as people know, as far as you could see, Nebuchadnezzar ruled the earth. And so we see these vignettes of Daniel, the, the young prince of Israel, Judah, was brought in to Nebuchadnezzar's court, and he's living there. And they gave him a new name, and they tried to kind of just saturate him in the culture of Babylon. And yet Daniel stands up in the culture of Babylon as this profound, dynamic, like, instrument of God's sovereign hand, even in that very corrupt and pagan um, society. And there was this, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, and he's really bothered by it. And so he goes and he gets all of his magicians and soothsayers and all the whatever, witch doctors together, and Daniel's part of them. They're astrologers. They have all these ways of divining the divine, of understanding the greater spiritual world. And he brings them all together and says, you must interpret my dream. And they're like, great, tell us. And he's like, I'm not going to interpret the. I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed. You have to tell me what the dream was and what it means. And people are like, King, you are nuts. Nobody can do that. And so Daniel sets to pray. Because the king's going to just, he says, I'll kill everybody. You got, I need to know, and I'm not going to have you play me and make up something once I tell you. You need to tell me the dream and tell me the definition. And so sure enough, Daniel gets to praying. And God just prophetically, divinely reveals the king's dream. And which is a story enough, right? That God reveals the dreams of kings to those who pray and seek him. <laughs> I mean, where do you go with that? But let me, let me just keep us focused for a minute. Because the very content of the dream found in Daniel 2. And Daniel goes to the king and says, don't kill everybody. Let me tell you what it was. The Lord has answered. He says, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling, awesome in appearance. The head was a statue of gold. The arms and chest were silver. The belly and thighs were bronze, and the legs were iron. Its feet were partly iron and partly baked clay. And so you get this big prophetic image, and God is revealing to Nebuchadnezzar the future. It's incredible. I won't go into the full nature of the story, but I want you to see an element of it. It says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out. Rock has always been a prophetic picture of the Messiah, the saving power of God. Jesus is the rock that makes men stumble, right? Build the church upon the rock, those who stand upon the rock of Jesus' teaching. It's this prophetic picture of the rock. So this rock is carved out of the mountain, but not by human hands. You just see the gospel in this, that God brings the Messiah, not of human hands, but of divine birth. And it says, this rock struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, then the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken into pieces like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them away without a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain. And what did it do? It filled the whole earth. Way back in Babylon, in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, 
God is revealing his heart that the glory of the Lord will be known and it will fill the whole earth. There's no nations. There's no other kingdoms. There is no agenda that will thwart the coming and the growth and the power of God's kingdom. Can you just... Can you just capture some of God's heart? I mean, think of you on your little Monday morning where you think the world's too much and your boss is a jerk and traffic's too slow and you don't have enough money for this and so-and-so looked at you funny and, you you know, you mean all these things that pile. And then for a moment, think of the rock that was carved out not by human hands, that was thrown into the statue that busted all of humanity and the world's powers and superpowers and everything else pieces, and it'll just blow away. But this one rock will become a giant mountain, and it is the kingdom of God. And you're a part of that. That, that's, that's, you're a part of that. You are part of the kingdom as the rule of God is over your life. So you are part of that great kingdom and the great glory that will fill the earth. And it is ever expanding. And so in that moment, don't choose to be just a mere human. Choose to be a kingdom citizen of heaven itself because that's part of the kingdom and the glory that you are a part of. You know, this whole vision of the kingdom, you see it in the Great Commission. Jesus said, go, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of where? Where? All nations all over the earth. Go everywhere. Let the glory of God, let the kingdom of God fill everything. It's incredible. Baptize them. Teach them. Surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. That was the Great Commission. In Acts 1.8, Jesus comes back and he, and he says to them, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will declare the great kingdom of God that died for your sins and rose for your resurrection power, victory, and life. You will be witnesses of these things in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the... Come on. This is exciting. I love even at Pentecost when Peter's preaching... He gets and he tells the whole story how God's vision was to bring the glory of God and Jesus was that Messiah and that we can be redeemed and saved and rebooted. You, 2.0, born again. Not by perishable seed like worldly stuff, but by the imperishable seed of the word of God, you might have new life. He preaches this to them. They're cut to the heart. They're like, what do we do? So glad you asked me that. With many other words, Peter warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were what? Added to their number that day. This is the kingdom picture of the church at its origins, and this is the kingdom picture of the church now. You preach the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, and people are added. This is not work of human hands. This is not your persuasive words or coaxing or, you know, you know, 
we used to always bring cookies, have cookies at youth group because we knew more kids would come if you had cookies. The Monday night, we had this incredible outreach in Highland for years. And you know what our motto was? Come for cookies, stay for Jesus. And oddly, it worked. People came for cookies, but they stayed for Jesus because no one is ever born again, no matter how good the chocolate chip cookie is. But the kingdom of God is powerful to upend every rebellious heart and able to bring rebirth and new life into people and homes and society and the world because the glory of the knowledge of the Lord will be known all over the world, even as the waters cover the sea. Listen, God's heart, God's kingdom heart is for expansion. And it's so easy for us to get lost and discouraged and kind of just buried in the minutiae and the troubles of this life. Even as Jesus was about to go to the cross, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He knew our, penchant, our, our tendency towards worry and stress. He knew our, our inability to keep the glory of God and, and, and like our, the front of our minds, and we would, we would just nosedive into the cares and troubles of this world. He knows that about us. And so the scriptures are filled with God's heart, which is, listen, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like this little tiny mustard seed. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, you plant it, and it grows into this giant tree, the largest tree in the garden. Because you know why? Even if the mustard seed of faith, even if the mustard seed of the kingdom is in you or in this church or in the world, it cannot, it will not stop growing until it fills it all. There's hope for you losers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did I say that? Why would I say that? Because you know what? We're all losers. We're going to lose unless the seed of the kingdom grows within us. Amen. I fix that. There's hope in the world. I even, I, gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I call my church losers. Paul, the Apostle Paul, on his missionary journey, right? He's taking these journeys. He's spreading the gospel. He's being persecuted. And rock, rocks are throwing at him, and people are threatening to kill him, and he's fleeing for his life, right? All this stuff. But he, he, he's consumed with this idea that the kingdom of God will expand, that it must expand. And the Spirit of God is not letting him stay put. The Spirit of God just continues to compel him, compel him forward. Christ's love compels me because I'm convinced of this. I'm an ambassador of Christ. There's an expansion going in my heart. And, 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 but Paul was filled with limitations, just filled with them. I mean, financial limitations and some social limitations. The guy was just a hard guy to get along with. Just ask Barnabas and John Mark. He had all kinds. And there's one point where he is in prison. He is chained. It says he's chained like a criminal. 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. He's like, the core of the gospel, it's just, it just can, he wants to say something else, but it starts with the gospel because he just can't contain the expanding nature of the kingdom of God that he's taken hold of him. Anyway, so he says that, and then he says, this gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. It's like, I'm chained like a criminal. 
criminal. Talk about limitations, right? He says, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's saying, you know what? Even in spite of all of my limitations, my personality, my financial situation, even my incarceration, the word of God is not chained. Therefore, it doesn't matter what happens to me or what my limitations are. The word of God and the kingdom of God will keep going no matter what. I mean, he even rejoices in one of other, his other letters saying, you know what, for the, for the reason I'm incarcerated, God, who knew? God knew. But because I'm here, the whole palace guard is getting born again. God is using my limitations. And the kingdom of God continues to expand. Don't you ever, ever use one of your limitations, whatever it might be, social, time, personality, whatever it is, as an excuse to say the kingdom cannot expand in my life or through my life. That is just a worldly concoction, a load of garbage that is a lie from the devil that says you must just sit there and be completely unfruitful. Because the reality is, no matter what our limitations, the kingdom of God is expanding. You take a minute and just kind of drill down a little bit for us personally. God's purpose in the kingdom, is for you to grow. Now, it seems kind of overly simplistic, but I mean it. God's purpose, if this principle of God's heart and the DNA of the kingdom is to grow, it's true for our church, it's true for ministry, it's true for us into the nations, these fantastic ambassadors from our church going to Japan. But listen, it's true in your life. Growth is required as part of the DNA of the kingdom in you. And listen, I'm not talking about like moral growth. Like some of you, okay, you need to stop sinning. <laughs> All right, you need to stop dealing with that really wrong attitude or whatever. It's not just grow out of sin and grow into purity and Christ-likeness, although that's an essential part. But sometimes we forget that part of the kingdom in you is growing in your creativity. Some of you have incredible creative gifts, and you've stewarded it like junk. You have not stewarded that gift. You've not taken it as far as you could go. You haven't stepped out in faith with it. It just gets buried. It may be because it gets unappreciated or no one likes what you do. I don't know why it does. But there's a creative gift of the kingdom in you that needs to grow. Some of it is you just, you just need to grow in your social skills. This is an issue of the kingdom, folks. This is an issue of the kingdom. You, you, just, you just need to get better at loving people in a way that they can understand it. You say, well, I love them. So my offensive words, I don't mean them. I just, you know, well, okay, fine, start there. But you know what? Get better at loving people with your words. Get better at managing your time so that you can be a kingdom man or woman. There are areas of growth that God wants to do. It's just not, just not about stopping sinning. That's an important part of it. But there's a whole other aspect about developing and stewarding who God made you to be. 
And only you know what that is. I mean, others may know. Maybe you need to sit down and talk. Say, what, what part of my life am I not letting the kingdom grow? And here's why. Because we're afraid sometimes. We're just afraid of stepping out. Or maybe someone told you that you'd never be any good at that, so just knock it off and get a real job. <laughs> I get that sometimes. Or maybe some lie has embedded in your life that says, well, you're just shy. Well, I, I'm, I've offended all the shy people now. It's okay to be shy, but God has not given us a spirit of timidity. You don't have to be like the guy out in the middle of the party and loudmouth crazy person, you know, to come out of your fear shelter and say, you know what? I'm going to speak up and be heard. I am going to step forward in something God wants me to step forward in. And my shyness has always been for me an excuse not to have to take a risk. All I'm saying is that God... In the kingdom in your life, part of the DNA of the kingdom is to see you fully you. And I've had to deal with things in my life that I thought were fully me. I thought, I can, I can do this, I can handle that. And the reality was, once I tried it and once other people kind of counseled me on it, it wasn't true. I was, that's not me. And I had to come to terms with that. I said, you know what? I have to concede the fact, and that's fine. It doesn't mean you can be all things everywhere you want to. We all have illusions of grandeur and these pipe dreams that really aren't realistic. And that's okay. But when it comes to the true you, who God has anointed and put his kingdom in and the seal of his Holy Spirit, we have to embrace all the fear and trembling and whatever else it takes to say, Lord, I want to be fully me. First Corinthians 3 tells a story. I'm about done. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Verse 1, he says this. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but only as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are you not still worldly? You are not acting, or are you not acting? These are rhetorical questions. Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos. Are you not acting like mere humans? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God makes it grow. Follow me? So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have a purpose, and they each will be rewarded according to their labor. For we are God's co-workers in his service. You are God's field. You are God's building. 
immaturity manifests itself in this setting through jealousy and through quarreling. Having a complaining attitude. Being judgmental about people. I, ju- I like Apollos. You like Paul. I like whoever. And all of this was going on inside of the church. And Paul sees that. And he says, you're just so immature. You're like babies who can only handle milk. I mean, they're not, they're not plotting to you know, destroy the world or anything. It just seems small. So I like Apollo. So you like Paul. No. Oh. To the Apostle Paul, he says, this is a serious infraction to you being who you're called to be. This jealousy, this backbiting, this critical, judgmental spirit about who you follow and who you shouldn't follow, and you like polarizing the church about the people they like and the people they don't like. He says it's completely and profoundly immature. I would love to feed you something of substance. I would love for you to grow up and be mature in your faith, but I can't do that because you would choke to death on it. You would get even worse attitudes if you were confronted on it. You would even choke on the truth of it, and you'd probably just leave the church and leave the faith. So Paul's rebuking them over these attitudes. And then he says, says, you are acting, and I just, I love this, like mere humans. (laughs) Could you imagine, like, when that was first read in Corinth, and they're like, well, time out, Paul. I am a mere human. Earth to Paul. Come in, Paul. Houston, we have a problem. Paul doesn't think he's human. I am human. Well, of course you're human. But his point was this. You should not be only human. You should not be only human. For you have been filled with the Spirit of God from heaven, and you are not simply people, but you are citizens of heaven. And that is the standard by which God views you. You're not just to be a good person. That will never work. You're to be a divine ambassador. And this is, the, this is only the internal stuff. Some of you just need to be a divine ambassador to your own attitude, to your own immaturity, to your jealousy and your quarreling. Because Paul's like, I can't do anything with you. I can't do anything with that. I don't matter, Paul says. Apollos doesn't matter. There's only one person who makes it grow. And that's Jesus. Let me give you a couple things, just a couple little things that I believe will help you. I've entitled it Keys to Growth in the Kingdom in You. Number one, get out of the way. Get yourself, get your little bad self out of the way. Jesus said this, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only one single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world, being merely human, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be, and my Father will honor those who serve me. He's saying, look, if you're just about yourself, doing it your way, 
kingdom will never expand in that. You need to die to yourself and follow Christ. He's saying these words in the context of him telling his disciples, I'm going to go and, be, and die. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And so the Christian walk is following Jesus faithfully through death to self and resurrection and spirit's power and living a life where you are out of the way. Because once you are out of the way, the kingdom will do its work. Because the DNA of the kingdom is to grow and expand. And you will not be able to stop the freight train of kingdom advancement in your own life if you get yourself out of the way. Number two, love people profoundly and speak truth to one another. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but only an enemy multiplies kisses. Embrace people in your life that will speak, that will love you profoundly. I was reading a, um, a biography of uh, John Newton. He was the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, right? Back in the 17, mid-1700s. And uh, it was said of John Newton that he would love people at first sight. Everybody. Just love at first sight. His whole orientation, having been such a wretched sinner himself, he, he wrote the lyrics, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He came, he recognized his wretchedness, wretchedness and so he just began saying, well, no one could possibly be as wretched as I was. So I'm going to love people at first sight. And when you love people like that, you can speak the beautiful kingdom truth to them. Love people profoundly and speak the truth in love. Um, number three, chain yourself to the unchained word of God. I'm not going to go long into that, but God's word is not, chain, is not chained, right? You chain yourself to it. Make it your regular ritual, your habit, your spiritual discipline. Be in the word of God. Because when that word is in you, it'll grow. It'll just, it'll take over areas you never even knew existed. And the last one is this. Well, there's so many more <clears throat> that I could put up here, but leave behind your childish immaturity. 1 Corinthians 13, 10, it says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face, talking about the coming of Christ. Now I know in part, then I shall be known fully, even as I am fully known. And these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. There are things that you need to put behind you if you want childhood to be over. Do you know what they are? Ask a friend that loves you. His wounds can be trusted. God's passionate heart for us is to be people of the kingdom. That we would be a church that is part of the glorious rule of Christ, and that you personally would find the kingdom growing, expanding in your life. Even now, even now, seek first his kingdom, and all the other things of your life will be added to you. Stand with me, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. 
thank you, God, for your word. I, I told myself that I was not going to exceed my time, but I couldn't help it. We need to hear these words, Lord. We need your scriptures to wash over us. God, we need to come to terms with your heart for us and all of its facets, even more than we even preached about, Lord. Your heart is so profound and vast and kind and powerful, transforming. We need to be a people who seek your heart, who know it, and, Lord, who live it, who are transformed by it, that it affects not just what we do but who we are. And so, Lord, I pray, have your way in us. Have your way in us, O God. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great